Hi, welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm one of your hosts, Kim Ward. And I'm your other host, Kurt Flagel. And this is part one of two parts on the Enneagram, where we're talking about what is the Enneagram anyway? What the heck is it? Why is it important for us to know our Enneagram number? How does it help us in our relationship with God? For part one, we're going to focus on the introduction of what the Enneagram is all about. And we're also going to talk about three of the personality profile numbers that make up the Enneagram. The eight, the nine, and the one. That's what you have to look forward to today on this episode of Life Hurts, God Heals. So let's get started. So, Kim, we've got some feedback from people asking exactly what I said. What the heck is the Enneagram? So the Enneagram is a personality typing system. So essentially it helps people understand who they are and why they do what they do or what makes them tick. So uh, the Enneagram, there's nine different personalities. And before you say nine, that seems limited. I love the example that uh, Ian Cron uses in his book called The Road Back to You which is an Enneagram, what he calls a primer. So this is more of an introduction, like, hey, let's figure this out and make this simple and more easily accessible. Then you can decide if you want to go further with it. So Ian's like, go to the paint store to buy a can of red paint. Then good luck, (laughs) essentially. There's only so many colors, but there are a plentitude of shades of each color. Yeah. I mean, all you have to do is go for a drive around here and just look out and just challenge yourself. How many shades of green do I see in just a small space? And even you're like sitting there going like, "Uh, Kim, it's the dead of winter. There's no green. What are you talking about? But if you actually go looking for it, you'll find it. And there's more shades than you can count. And I actually gave up. I think I hit 40 and got bored. When was this? (laughs) A couple of years ago, that was one of the first things that God challenged me on when I got back home. He's like, you keep thinking I'm creative with everything else. Well, just look at this. If I took this much care to make these many shades of green that most people don't notice or appreciate, how much more care did I take with you? That's a good point about what the Enneagram is all about. It's about understanding how we're wired. And just to be clear, it's just a tool to help us understand how we're wired. It's just one tool. It's not a be-all, end-all kind of thing. If we're made in the image of God, who is infinite, even though we're finite, that means there's still a lot of complexity to us as human beings. Yeah. How many times do we go, why did I just do that? I have no idea. I've certainly caught myself doing that often enough afterwards going, Well, that was awkward. I'm going to have to fix that later. In in terms of saying something, you know, without thinking about it. Because the the truth is, is, oh, how did someone say this? No one escapes childhood unwounded. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of this is simply how we've learned to see the world, how we've learned to cope with the world from what happens to us as we're kids. It's like putting on a mask. You know, when they talk about the personality, you're not actually talking about who you really are. You're talking about the mask you've put on. That's the Greek word persona. Literally means mask. It's where we get the word personality from. Yeah, we all find ways to cope with the world around us. 
we all lean into certain attitudes that we fall into, certain patterns of behavior. It's like a groove. We become used to moving into these set patterns of thinking and behaving to cope with the world around us. And that's why I like the Enneagram, because it is about helping us uncover the motivators. Why, like you said, why did I do that? Why did I say that? That's what the Enneagram is a great and useful tool for, is for helping us understand what is motivating us to say and do these things. I like to say that it is a tool of repentance. It's really not the same as other personality profiles of like Myers-Briggs, right. right? I am They're static. There's no movement. Right. There's no movement to them. They're not tracking health or unhealth, which is what the Enneagram helps you notice is are you in a place right now of health or unhealth in your ways of thinking? It is a way to help us understand where we are so we can see where God is meeting us. Because if it's true, what Isaiah says when he was speaking prophetically of Jesus, hundreds, maybe 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah describes Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. To know where you are is to help you understand where God is. Because if God meets us where we are and we don't know where we are, How are we going to experience God? The more we become self-aware, the more we become God-aware. That's the way he wired us. He wants us to see where we are so he can show us that's exactly where he is, meeting us right where we are. But if we don't know where we are, then we don't know where he is. And this is where the Enneagram is so helpful. Yeah. Now, the major part of this is describing briefly each of the nine personality types that are in the Enneagram. But before we do that, what would you say to people, especially Christ followers, who would say that the Enneagram is dangerous, that it is something that those who follow Jesus should stay away from? I mean, because there is controversy to this. I've actually had that conversation in the last few months. The thing I've noticed about tools and the things God uses or doesn't use is that the enemy likes to take whatever's out there, whatever God has done, and he likes to try to pervert it and twist it. Think of how long people thought that rock and roll music was of the devil and evil and et cetera. And yeah, there actually probably still are people who think that. But God gave us music. He put that in people. You know, he gave them talents and gifts. So, you know, why let the enemy rob you of something that could be a useful tool for your growth just because we don't fully understand the background of something, how the Enneagram came to be. And yeah, people who aren't Christians have used it in not healthy ways, but to... To completely discount something that has helped a lot of people simply because others have misused it seems a little limited in thinking. Paul took the language that was used by the Roman Empire and adopted it into his language uh, to describe who Jesus is and what he's doing. He used the language of the good news. 
you know, today we use language, the gospel or the good news, and mm -hmm. we completely see that as something that is biblical and Christ-centered. But when Paul first used those words, they were not words that originated in the church. They originated from Rome itself, from the emperor, to describe the good news of him coming and conquering a land and taking over a people, which was a tragedy. He would send heralds to tell those people the good news of him being their savior that rescued them from the, their old ways that were detrimental. And he was bringing them into an empire that was going to be actually beneficial for them. It was the good news of, the, of this empire that was here to save them. Paul takes that language and uses it for the glory of God. And even in Acts, he uses the statue of an unknown God. Idol worship that was vexing him, he used it to glorify God. And even in that speech in Athens, he is preaching to them about God, and he uses the words of their own poets to bridge the gap. How did Paul know the words of Athenian poets, of Greek poets, unless he studied these things and then adopted it into his faith? He used the tools given to him to glorify God. Even if it's true that the personality profiles mm -hmm that make up these nine numbers were created by someone who was not a Christ follower, can we not adopt and adapt that for the glory of God? So the, the real question to me is, when someone's making a decision about the Enneagram, the real question is, is it fear or faith? Is this a decision being made out of fear or faith? Perfect love drives out fear. So it's fear or faith. Yeah. And I am fully like you, willing to trust God that he will use my understanding of this tool to help me understand where I am in my relationship with him and what I'm leaning into to cope with my stuff rather than him. Mm -hmm. And that's where the Enneagram to me is gold. Yeah, it's definitely not something to get into if you want to be comfortable because it's not looking at the comfort part. There was a nice quote in here I really loved, essentially, in the book. Essentially, he's like, if you want to feel good about yourself and you want everything wrapped up in a pretty bow and you don't want to change, don't bother with the Enneagram. Because the Enneagram is about growth and looking at the uncomfortable. I remember when you and I first started going on this, you know, thing with the Enneagram. And I remember kind of freaking out. I don't want this to take over my life, and I really don't like my personality type. It makes me really uncomfortable. And he's just like, it's just a tool. He's like, will you let me use it? Mm. And it has helped for me to become more aware of why I'm doing what I'm doing and catching myself and snapping out of patterns. That, you know, I had a lifetime to build up, you know, 30-something years to develop these patterns and habits. It's not an easy thing to break out of. It's why we need tools. Right. How many times does a job become way easier if you have the right tools? Ask anyone that uh, is in a profession that fixes things or creates things or builds things. The right tool makes all the difference. Yep. I do understand the concern 
that the Enneagram becomes an idol, that it becomes the focus, that we begin to focus on ourselves only. Right. Totally understandable, a real concern, not discounting that. Yeah. That could be said of just about anything in our lives. Mm. Even the really good things like the people God places in our life to help us can then become idols. Does that mean we outright reject relationships? We outright reject the gifts of God because we're afraid they become idols? This is what the whole point is. And all of this, including using the tool of the Enneagram, is to draw us closer to God as the Creator so that we do not worship created things, as Romans 1 says. So it is a tool to help us get closer to the Creator. And yes, we have to be careful. We are not allowing it to become the thing we worship. That's true of anything. That's not a good reason for me to not use the tool. It is just a good thing to keep in mind as we use the tool. Yep. Okay, so setting aside controversy, (laughs) we invite people to look into it for themselves. We're not pushing anything on anyone. But setting that aside, let's talk about those nine different personalities. What is the brief description of each of the nine numbers? What is the basic fear? What is the basic desire? What is the basic motivator for each number? Maybe a good starting place before we go into the numbers is to talk about the fact that there are three types. They're called triads. Yeah, you have your heart, people who live out of their heart first such as twos, threes, and fours. You have the gut or instinct type, which is also known as the anger triad, which is eights, nines, and ones. And you have the head types, those who technically live out of fear or out of their heads, which is the five, six, and seven. Because everyone has one of those types that they instinctively move through and process the world through first. Doesn't mean you don't have the other two, but you do have one of those three that you instinctively experience life through first. So everyone either moves from their heart first, their Mm -hmm. head first, or their gut instinct first. Yeah. The way I picture it is if you have nine numbers, they're in a circle like a clock, but instead of going from one to 12, they go from one to nine. So that the one and the nine are right next to each other. And when I have that picture in my mind, Mm -hmm. then I see it as a pie with three slices. And three numbers make up one big slice. So triads equals a slice of pie. Three slices of pie. Yeah, that's something just to be aware of. In terms of trying to figure out your own type, that can be a good starting place. Do I feel like I live more out of my heart, my head, or my instincts? Having said it that way, we don't start with the one. Maybe we just start with the gut triad. And yeah, so we start with the eight. They is frequently known as the challenger. They tend to be commanding, intense, confrontational. And they're, for motivation, they are motivated by need to be strong and avoid feeling weak and or vulnerable. They fall firmly within the anger triad. They're the ones that externalize it towards others. It's pretty hard to miss an eight in a room. <laughs> I'm using also the Enneagram Institute. Their website is good just for the general information, the Enneagram. And they say at their best, uh, eights are self-mastering. They use their strength to improve others' lives. 
becoming heroic, magnanimous, and inspiring. What's the basic fear of an eight? Being controlled. Right. Their fear is of being harmed or being controlled by others. So their basic desire, then, is to protect themselves, to be in control of their own life and destiny because they can do it better than others. Or so they think, as we all do at some level. Yeah. So the key motivator of the eight, then, is they want to be self-reliant, to prove their strength and resist weakness, to be important in their own world, to dominate the environment, stay in control of the situation. Those are the important things to pay attention to, because a lot of the numbers... Some of the numbers, anyway, can look like each other. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, they do the same things. They act the same ways in certain ways. If you're looking outwardly at someone, it can be confusing to try to understand what their Enneagram number is. And the key to this is no one can understand somebody else's Enneagram number for them. They have to really hear these things, the basic fears, the basic desires, the basic overview of the number and especially the key motivators, and go, yeah, that's why I do what I do. So that's it for the eight. Since we're going clockwise, from eight, there's the nine and then the one. And that would be, that'll be the gut triad. So The nine, ah, my favorite number. Because? Because I am a nine. So I, I might have just a teeny bit of experience with this one. Uh, the nine is known as the peacemaker. Pleasant, laid back, and accommodating, they're motivated by a need to keep the peace, merge with others, and avoid conflict. So whereas the eights externalize their anger, nines suppress and forget their anger. They generally look very mellow and laid back, not necessarily very focused. Um, Essentially, nines have been told that their presence doesn't matter. Mm. Who they are doesn't matter to the world. So they very easily blend with other people and pick up traits of those around them because it's easier to go along with someone else's excitement and motivation than to try to find your own because you have to be attached to the healthy part of anger in order to have that motivation. Mm. So that can be a very big challenge for a nine. Nine's frequently get accused of looking like every other number except their own. So the, the downside for a nine is they fall asleep to themselves. Um, they frequently don't have goals and ambitions and all that stuff because that's too scary for them because the goal, biggest goal is to keep your inner and outer peace, mm. which is actually, quite frankly, really exhausting. Yeah, that's the key motivator, right? To create harmony in their environment, to avoid conflicts mm-hmm. and tensions, to preserve things as they are and so therefore to resist anything that would upset them or disturb them yeah so the basic fear is of loss of separation relationally especially and the basic desire then is to have connection to preserve connection pretty much at any cost which is seen as the peace right connection stability harmony peace of mind Mm -hmm. peace Inwardly, peace externally. Right. Definitely a number, I can speak from experience, that has trouble with boundaries and saying no most Mm. of the time. Or knowing what we want. We can tell you what we don't want a lot more easily than we can tell you what we do want. (laughs) Not at all annoying when you're trying to pick a restaurant to eat at. (laughs) Right. Okay. How about the one? Give us an overview of the one, Kim. 
So the one, the perfectionist, or I think someone else labeled them the improver, which I suspect they like a little bit better. (laughs) Than the perfectionist. Yes. There's too many negative connotations with the perfectionist. They tend to be ethical, dedicated, and reliable. They tend to be motivated by a desire to live the right way, to improve the world, and to avoid fault and blame. So their their key motivator is to be right. They want Mm -hmm. to be right, to strive higher and improve everything. Yeah. They really want to be beyond criticism so as not to be... No, condemned by anyone. Yeah. So their basic fear is of being seen, or not just being seen, of being. That's that, and that's a distinction we need to make. For, yeah. Because there's another number that's that's afraid of being seen as imperfect. The one is afraid of being imperfect. They hate imperfection, even in themselves. Being corrupt or defective is the one's nightmare. The one's greatest fear is being defective and imperfect. Their desire is to have integrity. Integrity means wholeness, right? Completeness. Yeah. The problem here for the poor one (laughs) Mm -hmm. is that we're all imperfect and we're all flawed and we're all finite. That's the issue is that ones see imperfection or incompleteness as evil. And yet God, if you go back to the garden, God created Adam and Eve incomplete and imperfect before they ever sinned. Because to be complete means that we have everything we need within ourselves. Only God is complete. So the issue for one is is coming to accept that God made all of us incomplete, imperfect. And that's not actually sin. Imperfection is not sin. Incompleteness is not sin. It's actually the place where when we accept that about ourselves that we can then accept God's completeness and be clothed in his completeness. It is literally Matthew 5.3 where Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So for a one, it's accepting that they are poor in spirit, they are incomplete and imperfect, and God says they're blessed for it. When they accept it about themselves, then they're ready to let God clothe them in his completeness. That's a very freeing place for a one. Yeah. Because for the ones, their anger, as we talked about, the eight externalizes, the nine suppresses the crud out of it, and the ones internalize it. So they might seem critical of others, but they're the harshest critic of themselves. Yeah, it's what I say a lot is what you receive is what you reflect. So if you're receiving the criticism of the enemy... Let's be honest, who's the accuser? Yeah, who's the condemner? Who's the accuser? Yeah, Satan. I mean, that's literally one of his titles. So this is where ones have to be careful because they can easily fall into that trap of listening to the criticisms of the enemy. And then Romans 8.1 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We talk about John 3.16 in the church a lot. 
And, you know, you see it at football games. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son or only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but instead have eternal life. But if you go on beyond that, it says, those who believe him are no longer condemned, but those who do not believe him are condemned already. They stand already condemned. And the question is, who's doing the condemning? Because <laughs> God says he didn't send Jesus in the world to condemn it. God's whole point was about saving us from ourselves, saving us from the lies and accusations of the enemy. We have an enemy who is the condemner. And if we don't come to Jesus and accept that we are imperfect and accept that he doesn't condemn us over that, that we're loved and accepted right where we are in all of our imperfections, then we are agreeing with the enemy who is condemning us always, already. So Jesus is the one and the only one who, for all of us, is safe and is always accepting. And if we don't agree with him, we stand condemned already because we're listening more to the lies of the enemy. And this is I'd say this is where ones actually have a leg up on everyone because they feel that condemnation of themselves very clearly, but in that is an invitation to notice that that's not God and to come to God and receive all of his acceptance and notice when they're feeling critical of themselves that that is not God. And therefore, if it isn't God, when they notice the criticisms, it is the chief invitation of God. That's the moment that they are being invited when they notice it, to come and surrender it to God. And so if we receive criticism from the enemy and don't let God in to give us his love and acceptance, that's what we reflect. But if we, you know, grow in receiving the love and acceptance, we can now reflect that love and acceptance to others. Yeah, that's good. Ones are great experts at beating themselves up and then beating other people up. And yet... There's so much beauty in noticing the criticisms, the self-criticisms, because in that is all the invitation of God right there all the time. Come to me. This is a good place to stop for now. Thank you for listening to part one of this series, What is the Enneagram? And please make sure to listen to part two as we continue the discussion on the next two triads in the Enneagram, which is the heart triad made up of numbers 2, 3, and 4. And we will also be talking about the head triad made up of numbers 5, 6, and 7. And to wrap up the discussion on the Enneagram in part 2, we will also talk about God's healing message for each of the nine numbers. Because as you know, if you're a Christ follower, God is constantly speaking into us and over us. So why wouldn't he speak specifically to us about our number and how healing comes to us via our specific Enneagram personality number? We will also talk about the steps that he offers each of us to walk in that healing power, to walk in the transformation into the healthiest version of us that he is offering. So please make sure to tune in for part two of What is the Enneagram?
And before you go, here's some further information you might want to know about us as an organization. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Life Hurts, God Heals. And if you're curious to know more about us and what we offer, we are part of a larger organization called Elevate Slow, which is a disciple-making movement intent on seeing the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us planted in every culture around the world. If you'd like more information, you can go to our website, elevateslow.com. That's elevateslo.com. And as always, please remember that you are God's beloved, so be loved.